All right. What's up, what's up? Chana, I don't know if you can uh, hear us. Usually he does the intro, but uh, it's all right. He's in his car, obviously. Uh, we have Aaron and our special guest, Anthony Grimani. Yo. Everybody's excited to have you, and I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous to have you. Yeah, Why? I know it's weird, right? I don't usually get nervous, but like, you know, I don't know. I'm just excited. Cool. So, so thanks for being on. You're welcome. It's it's uh, going to be fun to be here. We've talked a little bit, and the conversations were stimulating. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. All right. Uh, so what's up to the people in the chat? I see you guys. I see uh, Stop the FOMO. How's it going? Tim Perry, of course. Juan. Uh, my wife, Angela. Happy belated Mother's Day. Uh, yeah. And uh, Trevor Anderson says, Anthony is my favorite. All right. Wow, thank you. Thank right. you. <clears throat> I'm still getting over a little something Hold here. Favorite, favorite what? Bartender? Barista? Uh, driver? What? 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 Yeah. I make a mean cappuccino. With so, a name like Romani, you got to be able to do that, right? If you don't know, if you don't know Anthony, uh, he does lots of stuff. He's been around for quite a while. The first time I've actually seen you was... I think I saw you on a home theater geeks. Like you remember home theater that, geeks? That was yeah. a while back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a great show. I missed that show, but um, yeah, you do a ton of stuff. So let me name this stuff off real quick. Cause I did a little research, you know, I had to do a little research out of respect, but I see MSR acoustics. And under that, I see, Oh man. Uh, Sonatus. So good. Sonatus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dimension 4, and these are, uh, what kind of products are these? Uh, these are acoustical treatment products uh, sold either as individual units, like you can buy a diffuser, an absorber, a bass trap, or more interestingly, we've built these kits around room sizes. So if your room's 300 square feet, that's 30 square meters for people outside the country. Um, uh, here's a package of absorbers, diffusers, bass traps, diff all the stuff you would need. And if you follow the layout that's in the recommendation, you're going to get decent sound out of the room. All right. And then I see also Gramani Systems. Yep. Uh, what is that about? Uh, that's a, I, I like to say it's loudspeakers for the 21st century. That's our propaganda. It's a new line of speakers. We started that about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, and uh, they're, they're really the result of spending 25 years in the integration industry working with everybody else's product and going gee wouldn't it be nice if a speaker manufacturer would do this and that and this and that and this and that and and then talking to speaker manufacturers and and just keep i guess we got a lot of no's uh, we being uh, uh manny like aruba our chief engineer and i a lot of people are like nah, I'm gonna, you know, come on that's totally wacky so we just ended up making it ourselves so i, I like to say it's um high quality home cinema speakers or media room speakers kind of buy integrators for integrators uh they're not really made to like fubu be right what <laughs> sorry no. uh buy <laughs> integrators for us, for, integrators. Us. for us okay. by yeah. us for us by um, us. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry had to had to throw that in there so yes and then i see also uh pmi engineering what is this uh, that's a consulting firm that's uh, now 24 years old. I started that at, right after I left uh, Lucasfilm THX. And uh, it's a design uh, 
design firm you hire to design your home cinema, design your studio, design your church sound system, design whatever, you, wherever there's media, audio and video, and you need some engineering chops to figure out what to do, uh, you hire PMI engineering and design, we'll figure it out and produce a plan set. Awesome. So is there, so what don't you do? And that's probably a better question. This I guy don't, probably, uh... I don't surf well at all. And my, oh. my, my plan is that by this age, <laughs> I'd actually know how to get on a wave and like not face plant, which is uh. my favorite move. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not good at that. I don't, we, we were talking earlier. I don't run marathons. My knees don't, don't go there. Okay. Um, don't tell me you made a calibration disc in the past too, right? I made a calibration disc in the past. Uh, what the friggin' I don't know. thing that was to do? Maybe this and, is a mistake Joe, to have this guy on. Yeah, I don't know what your problem is, but you know, you you're a sucker for a lot of pain to have produced the disc. <laughs> and thank you so much, so that's, that I didn't have to do another one. <laughs> that's that guy right there. He's the one who had to put everything together. I just came up with the ideas of like, you know, we need this, we need this, and he's like, all right, I guess I'll have yeah. to make those and multiply it by the number of speakers. Yeah, it's a challenge. Thank you so much. That's a critical. Uh, you guys who are listening, if you're trying to get good sound in your multi-channel listening room, whether it's for music or film, whether it's 5171 or Atmos, if you don't have a calibration disc, and if you don't have a Blu-ray player, uh, you're not going to get there. Uh, you, need, you need to get the calibration disc those guys made. Uh, or, or else you don't, it's, it's like driving like this, you know, by Braille, you're, you're going to run into a post and, uh, Chana, don't, don't run into a car over there while you're driving around <laughs> blind. <laughs> I, this parking lot is so bad. Like I, I have no idea what you said for the last like two minutes. Excellent. Neither, <laughs> neither did I for that matter. Really bad. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It, it's all good. We're just, we're just talking about the spatial toolkit and, you know, all the stuff that you had to do. Can you, can you? Share maybe some of your experiences when you made the toolkit and uh, what what that was for, you know. Yeah. Hmm? So we're going back 20, uh, let's just say 25 years ago, 20, 24, I'm trying to think, but I don't know, something like that. Uh, somewhere between 20 and 24 years ago, um, wanted, I, I wanted a calibration uh, toolkit, something that I could put, put on at the time a DVD onto a player, and it would have a whole bunch of different test signals that I could use for measuring, analyzing, debugging, sometimes by ear, sometimes with instruments, and nobody had that. There were a few things out there, but nothing that had all, all, my, um, all my dream tools. So I did one, and it was first about generating all of the signals to be exact, you know, within 0.1 decibel and bandwidth, everything exactly what we needed to do. That was hard. It's a lot of work to get it right. And then it was about authoring it so that you could navigate around it uh, in the Blu-ray, the, at the time the DVD player wouldn't crash. And that was like a whole bunch of work and work directly with the authoring company uh, to make that happen uh, with Daikin Scenarist at, the, at that time. Um, it was a lot of work. Just a ton mm. of work, and in, in the end, you got to then you put it out, and you got to promote it. You got to tell the tell the world what it's for, and that's also hard because sometimes it's hard to write a manual that explains. Well, here's exactly how you use this. Um, if you guys out there in the viewership are ever reading a manual, you go, like, I don't get this. Just know that it's hard to write a manual that everybody gets, um, and that's just that's just <laughs> for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean that's the reason I contacted you because. I was looking through the people who bought the the toolkit. I'm like, I know this guy. 
Anthony, you know, so I give you a call. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got a chance to mess around with it, but I actually wrote the manual. So how many pages did it come out to, Chana? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot, you know, trying to get, yeah. trying to inform people about how to use this whole thing. But, you know, it's just interesting to talk to somebody else who's done it, right? Yeah. We try to tell people, this is hard, man. We're, we're trying our best. You When you make a disc, it has to be correct. So, you know, we, we're trying our best. So it's just kind of interesting to talk to somebody who's done pretty much, yeah, you, you started that, right? A while back. Um, <clears throat> I, have a, I have a question for you. And uh, don't mean to throw you off a little bit, but here, here it is. This is a question from somebody. It says, tell me about your days at Dolby working on cassette licensing. <laughs> what? That, that, that was you get a little bit, huh? That was, yeah, that was like at least two years ago. Um, <laughs> let's see, I, I joined, I was lucky enough to join Dolby right out of college. Uh, and I had no idea how lucky I was. I mean, I thought, whoa, cool. And uh, why was I so lucky? The, the brain power on electric, electrical engineering, electronics, design, and audio there is insanely good. And I feel like they don't publicize that well enough. You know, they just quietly do their thing over there in the corner, big corner, big building. Um, but there, there's, a, there's a degree of horsepower in there that's just insanely good. So I originally got hired um, to help design microchips for uh, cassette decks for noise reduction. And uh, for what at the time was called B type. The service here is absolute ass. Oh. You want to drive somewhere else? Yeah, we need okay. to go somewhere else. This guy. All right. Can you still hear? All right. Him? That's, All right, this, right. Is, this is Chana. If you right. haven't, um, if you haven't seen Chana, he, uh, there's a he's uh, he's a little bit colorful with his language, so don't mind that. That's how we roll. Yeah. He said something um, about donkeys. I don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's what it is. I I I got hired and worked with the different manufacturers that made uh, integrated circuits. To, that go into cassette decks to implement noise reduction for cassette tape, and I um, and then I got interested in surround sound. So like very early on, there was talk about hey, let's bring this Dolby stereo thing into into homes. It wasn't clear that anybody would want it. Um, it you know, you're, you're right in the beginning, and like, is this going to be a market? Is anybody going to care? And and now you know, people care. They they do want to have that same experience, that theatrical experience in the home. It was really fun. Um, I will say something about cassette tape um, it, that really blew me away when I started to work at Dolby on the on the first first few weeks. Is it, if you if you have a decent cassette deck that's got either a two or three head deck that's reasonably well aligned, and you have a reasonable cassette tape at the time, you know, basic TDK AD was fine, and you do a recording of a CD or something, you know, that was the standard at the time for, for high dynamic range or really good record, you can record it through onto the cassette tape that's moving at the speed. You know, it's like a snail goes faster than the tape on a cassette deck. But with the noise reduction and proper tuning, you could do a recording that was indistinguishable from the source, which is like, what? And not with B-type, but with C-type noise reduction, you could. And then eventually this newer version called uh, uh, S noise reduction. And, and it surprised people. Uh, it still surprises me today that you could still do that. Um, anyway, you, you know who told me to ask you that question, by the way? Uh, Brent Butterworth. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Brent. Yeah. Funny. So shout out to him. I asked him, like, hey, can you can you give me something to throw him off a little bit? I want to throw him off his game plan. Yeah. So that's uh, funny. Um, so yeah, you did mention uh, Dolby, and it says here on your bio, it says invented the revolutionary surround EX 6.1 channel audio format, pioneered 
in Star Wars and The Phantom Menace. I think Aaron's still using that. Uh, How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? We, yeah. we tease him because he's... They, they don't he's, tease me. They make fun of me and berate me constantly. Yeah. He's not about uh, Atmos and all that stuff, but it's okay. Yeah. Everybody so, yeah, what's, what's everybody that about? Something. Uh, what's that about? Yeah. Um, we go back way to 1988 or 1998. Sorry, I was off by 10 years or so. And uh, uh, Gary Wrightstrom, the sound designer for Phantom Menace, you know, the, the first of the new series of the Star Wars, which is actually number one in the series, if you guys followed all that, um, comes up to me and goes, you know, I'm, I'm doing stuff with the sound designing sound design of this that it needs more than just 5.1. I want I want sounds to be able to rotate all the way around in cinematic 5.1 or a properly set up 5.1 system really in, at home. You really have sounds in front of you and then kind of they go as far as this. They never really go behind you. And in his sound design, he was imagining all these things that are, that are clearly uh, going around you, surrounding you. And so he had all these ideas like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to record more sounds. We're going to put them on some different track. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it was all about a new format of film sound recording. It was like, no, nah, you can't you can't really launch a movie with a brand new actually recording format on the film. You, you're just you're just not going to get there. The, right. the history of film sound is littered with dozens and dozens of formats that people tried to launch and they just never, never really went anywhere. Um you know, Witness DTS, which is a very good multi-channel recording scheme on a, on a separate disc, was around for a while, and it was like, it's too complicated. Um, so I came up with a way to do what he wanted to do, which was to matrix and code a back channel into the two side or the two surround channels of a 5.1 mix. It's a, a phase matrix encoding that's similar to what's in ProLogic, and in which you, you take three, the three channels, the side left, side right, and back, and you mash them into the two tracks uh, with a special coating. And then on in the movie theater, you unmash it, you know, separate the, the puzzle back out, left, right, and back. And you end up being able to make a spaceship go all the way around you and or or a uh, well, yeah, whatever sound effect you wanted to do. Okay. And uh, that so that that development started at THX, then in a, a joint venture, essentially with Dolby, a joint venture would not be the right name because there was no money exchange, but it was a, a partnership with Dolby. Uh, it was implemented by Dolby and in, in these devices that were added to movie theaters for the release of Phantom Menace. That's super cool. Yeah, uh, uh, we have a comment here it says from Reverend Slim, he says, Gary Rydstrom is one of my favorite designers, those early Pixar flicks he did were some of the best 5.1 and EX tracks. So those mixes and EX, those mixes are insanely good. Uh, and the funny thing that we're, we're totally digressing. By the way, we were going to get into a podcast to talk about one really interesting thing, but I know yeah, we, 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 definitely we can. can talk for the next 50 minutes and never get there. But hold on. Uh, what, what Gary did at Pixar to transcend some of the locked precepts of how film sound design is done was just insanely good. And those two precepts are interesting. One of them is dialogue is only ever in the center channel. You never move dialogue anywhere else. And there's a good reason for that. The, the, the benefit of that is you can sit anywhere in the theater and you always hear it coming from the middle of the screen. Yeah, but if somebody's walking across the sound field, walking across the screen saying, blah, 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 whatever it is, wouldn't you want the dialogue to follow, follow the actor? And one of the rules, cardinal rules in film sound design is, I don't care. The dialogue stays in the center. And Gary said, I don't care. I'm moving the dialogue. 
to go with it. And it, some of that is Pixar and the progressiveness there. Some of it is like, well, it's our car. It's a cartoon. It's an animation. You can do whatever you want. And so you'll find uh, a lot more active sound field in those Pixar movies. And then the other one is that um, most directors, traditional directors, don't like a lot of surrounds and back. They want your attention on the screen because that's where all the action is. And it's true that if you start to put a lot of things back here on the top, the audience just out of instinct of preservation, you're going to like look up there when you clearly hear a sound that's up there. You're in the middle of a movie. You're going to look up there and like now you're looking at a wall with a bunch of speakers. You're out of the movie. And so directors, film directors are really very uh, conservative about how much stuff you put there. And then us home theater folks who love stuff everywhere. You know, we bought all these speakers. We want to hear stuff flying everywhere. We're like, well, that's kind of boring. <laughs> and like this movie's broken and then we crank up the surrounds to have more action but know that the intended sound design by most directors not necessarily the audio people the sound directors is like it's very front heavy on purpose um and gary on on some of those pixar movies just like you know, stuff is everywhere and it's fun yeah and it's fun I and mean, no we can lot. get back to that i know that you have something that you want to talk about and we can we can definitely get back on the on the topic of uh you know where sounds are placed it's kind of one of my right. my notes here to, what i wanted to say about that. that is in one of those very active soundtracks in a pixar movie i don't think anybody walked out of the movie theater going i want my money back there was too much stuff coming out of the side wall and the back wall and <laughs> it's all wrong no people love it and so this is one of those things that, that happen in all kinds of creative art form. You know, Italian cuisine for the longest time was oso buco and, you know, and pasta done a certain way. And then, you know, somebody said, we're going to do things a little differently. It's still going to be Italian, but we're going we're gonna to move forward and it's fine, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. end of that topic. I'm, so, I'm off the, hold on, I'm stepping off the soapbox. Okay. <laughs> well, I know that you proposed a uh, kind of the title, right? And I wrote mm -hmm. it down. And you said, you know, and I might have gotten it wrong because it was a phone call, but you said what we hear versus what we can measure. I guess. Yeah. You wanted to talk about that. And I said, uh, isn't that like psychoacoustics versus acoustics? And you said, well, that doesn't sound as fun. So, <laughs> yeah, if that was the title. Uh, but now that we're there, it's psychoacoustics versus acoustics. Um, and, and then acoustics versus we hear versus what microphones hear versus what analyzers hear. And it gets all pretty confusing. Uh, what got this started, uh, Joe, I think was um, this little message that you sent out that said, Hey, I'm, I'm working on, on an application in which you'd be able to put in information about your speaker and its directivity and all this stuff. And it's going to help you figure out what a target curve is. And I'm like, I want that. Please tell me more about that. And then was like, well, let's get on a podcast. So, if what I just said started to sound like I'm speaking a different language, uh, that's because it gets a little complicated. Um, so here, here's the deal. Um, there's all kinds of fields in science where you can measure with instruments, you know, a micrometer. A, you can get into very, very sophisticated astronomy with all these different tools we have. And in our business, uh, we have these analyzers. We have these tools that allow to put a, a special microphone in a room, a, an actual test microphone that, you know, it looks totally different than this. They're usually omnidirectional. It doesn't really matter. They're just a good microphone. And you plug them into an analyzer, which Room EQ Wizard is a great version of. Um, and you measure what's going on in the room. And you're looking at stuff on a screen and it tells you one thing, but what it actually sounds like is often different. 
I was I was hoping Aaron would have one just like arms reach. What a microphone! I'm, like out of these three people, I'm, I'm I, like, I have one right over there. <laughs> Here's a you mic. There you go. Yep. Just, See, there you go. Wrapped up. So, so what? What was it? What's in Aaron's hand is an incredibly good, especially for the price, USB test microphone. Yes. Um, if you so that's a great great thing. Move out of focus. So what's interesting is what's inside there is the typical. A quarter inch or smaller Panasonic capsule that everybody uses on those kinds of mics. Yeah. But what makes that thing work is that it comes with a calibration file that compensates for whatever is going on with the mic, and then you got a really good measurement. The only the only limitation of those kinds of mics is that they're not very low noise. So if you want to measure low background noise, you can't. Who cares? Nobody's like that's not our first intention. Our first intention is to figure out what what's going on in this room. Um. So let's just say that you you blindly followed the responses that you measure from an analyzer feeding a speaker into your room and you, you get your microphone and you do everything you need to do to flatten out the response. Um, and uh, let's and just- I, And I see you have some stuff on the screen. So you just let me know if you want to put something up and- uh, I got to figure that. out what I'm going to put up. Uh, so this <laughs> I know. Is we're, I see you're, you're back here while you're talking. You're also doing some stuff. I think you're doing a calibration, a remote calibration. Yeah, right now, right now I'm calibrating something in Mongolia. Uh, so if you hear me interrupt, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, you speak Mong Mongolese. I speak the Mongolese. No, I've actually been to Mongolia working on a project, interestingly. That's the furthest oh. I've been to go do stuff. Oh, uh, look at this guy. But give me a second here. Current projects. I, I wanted to pull this thing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever. Let's just put this on screen. Okay. Um, you let me know. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. All right. So this is this is a frequency response that you'll measure off a you know some speaker in some room. And what the electronics are doing, uh, I'll explain frequency response because some people look at this and they go, I don't know, this looks like a little lumpy stuff. Um, this is a a measurement in which you put the same level of signal starting at 20 hertz and going all the way up to 20 kilohertz, which is supposed to be the range of what we hear. Um, older guys don't hear all the way up there. I'm one of those. I, you know, somewhere around 13 or 14 kilohertz. I'm like, I don't hear anything anymore because because uh, I'm old. Um, but you, you're, you put a signal into the system and you change its frequency from low frequency to high frequency with the same voltage. And what should come back is exactly the same level. So if you're measuring this at the output of an amplifier or your surround decoder, it'll be, instead of being this lumpy up and down mess, um, Actually, can you guys confirm that you can see this line moving? Yeah. Yep. So what, what you'll get back from decent electronics is a perfectly flat line. Um, and then you put it into a speaker that's very well designed, and it, they don't have to cost a lot of money. And what you'll see is something that comes back that's more or less a flat line. It goes up and down 2 or 3 dB, but it's okay. That's what it's going to be like in the measurement anechoic room where there's no room. Then you put it in a room and you get this mess. This is what a room does to a speaker. Now, this one actually is equalized. Let me see if I can actually pull one that's not equalized. L, no EQ, L, near, near, near. Ah, L, no EQ. There we go. Um, so let me get rid of that. This is the unequalized response of a speaker in a room. It's up and down. It's all over the place. This is what a room will do to a perfectly good speaker. I won't mention who the client is. I won't mention the speaker. It doesn't really matter. A room is going to change the sound of a speaker. 
I don't care how expensive your speaker is, it's going to change it. There are some speakers that are a little less sensitive to the room than others, a little bit less. There's ways you can design a speaker so it's a little less affected by it above 500 hertz, but a room's going to change it. Basically, as much as these hands change my voice, you understand? You, you all hear how that changes it, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So then you measure the speaker and you go, okay, well, I can see this. What I'm trying to get to is a nice, smooth, flat line. And uh, then you, then what? How do you, how do you change that? Do you go into the speaker and change it? No, you don't. So how do you change it? This is a quiz. What do you, what do, you do to change that? Who's, who are you asking? You guys. What do you do to change the response of the speaker that's all messed up? EQ or room treatments. One of the two. That's all you've got, right? Uh, three things, actually. Okay. Uh, or four four things. If it's right. really if it's really bad, it's a bad speaker. Get rid of it. Toss it. There, are, okay. there, are <laughs> some, there are some really <laughs> ugly ones out there, and I'll I'll show you that in a minute. Let me see if I can put something up that shows a really crappy speaker. Um, give me a I second. I can probably find some of those too. Yeah, I think I might have a couple. <laughs> yeah, I've owned plenty of those. Uh, I think so, I've got some in the living room right now. Uh, that went I'm at the, the Audi dealership. I'm pretty sure these in ceilings are not that great. No? Where, so, you're at an Audi dealership right now? I need to get Wi-Fi because the, okay. the, the phone was inside. My wife is going to go and her friend are going to go do something. Awesome. So so you just you just walked in and said, hey, I need, I need to use your Wi-Fi. I've got an international podcast to do. I was like, yeah, come on in. Yeah, well, I mean, I spent twenty seven hundred dollars here like about an hour ago, so I think they're. I think I'll be fine with it. You paid your dues, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. so this is some random speaker me measured by some random person, not so random. Uh, there's a a company that happens to have a clipple and they measure stuff, um, right? And this is the frequency Orkland. response of the speaker. Okay, this is uh, not. I don't see it on the screen yet. Do you do you have it up? Are you sharing it? I do mm. not. Oh. I do not. You are completely correct. Share screen. Press this. Press this button. Press that button. Go to this window. <laughs> go here. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to share the entire screen. We're getting there. And yeah. now you are seeing it. Boom. All right. All right. Here we go. So can you see this? So this is a, a speaker. Oh, whole I, won't, I won't mention any names. This is a speaker. This is not a good design. And can <clears> you <throat> actually make... Yeses, Aaron? <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm taking it off. I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, the <laughs> RP600M. looks no. pretty good, though. The um, early reflections look pretty good. So what's interesting with that speaker is you, you could, if you're lucky, you could tune it. But if you didn't tune mm -hmm. it, it's just going to sound bad yeah, for lots absolutely. of different reasons. 100%. Um, okay. So, uh, so you have a speaker. If it's a bad design, if it's got problems, send it back. Forget about it. And how do you know if it's good or bad? Well, uh, you can go to certain websites where people measure measure them. Um, I am working with an international technical committee to actually encourage manufacturers to disclose the data on on their product in a standardized way. It's called performance facts. It's it's a it's a joint. Um, it's a joint effort of CDS, CTA, and a few different organizations. And what would happen is without any judgment, like here's a form, they're always the same. Here's all this data. You need to learn how to, how to read this data. But it basically shows a spinorama, if you guys ever talk about that. Um, oh, it, shows, yeah. it, it shows all the right data. All right. So you got, so yeah, number one. That, that, how do you, that. No, other way. Point, I can't other point. <laughs> okay. 
That guy Aaron. is all about the. He's all about the spinorama. Yo, he's about. Uh, he's well. He's here for me. He's about the spinorama. Um, yeah, he's spinning, <laughs> he's spinning, he's spinning right spinning now. As um, That's a great idea, though, because you know I see a lot of speakers that are semi-popular, and they don't have. They have no specs. Right. Like like no specs. Like how about some specs? Well, so check it out. As a here's here's one of the most important foods in the world: chocolate. Oh. Uh -oh. Specs. You're reading my language or talking my Nutrition language. facts, right? <clears throat> is this how we this, get the chocolatey bottom? In the that's right. <laughs> the nice, rich. And, uh, and this is 90. Uh, what is this? Oh, this is merely 85% cacao. Um, so there's specs on a chocolate box. Why would they not be consistent specs across the board on amplifier speakers and projectors and stuff like that? So I'm I'm pushing that in the next year. You'll start to see that. But I think because a lot of them suck. Nope. No, that's not a good reason. I see some very good speakers with no specs out there. I can see sometimes I see the same version on the commercial market that have all the specs you would ever want to know what to find out if this is good or bad for you. I don't um, know. I think I think I see a lot from a JBL Harmon group and uh, well, they've Kef kind of does it. Kef is back. not shy about that. Kef right? isn't, but JBL has kind Are of they? pulled back from publishing their oh, okay. stuff. Like you have to ask for it, and sometimes yeah. you may not get it. You okay, you look so at. Kef. You look at specs on JBL, either semi-pro consumer products from 30 years ago, everything you would ever want and more. It's all yeah. in there. And then marketing went, well, people don't know what the hell this means. So they just don't, they don't put it, they don't take up right. the room. And well, that's true. Most people don't. But for the few people who care, the people who are on this podcast, um, we keep calling it a podcast. I don't know what to call this video cast, this cast. Um, it's good enough. Something. Whatever. Hangout. Whatever. It becomes a podcast at one point, actually. So yeah. technically you're not um, wrong. You, you all care and just know that there's going to be a place where you can find this out. Anyway, so number one, if it's a bad speaker, send it back. Number two, if it's in the wrong place in the room, you can move it around while measuring it on your analyzer, not just by listening, going, I think it got better. I don't really know. But actually, what I like to do is I like to put, if I'm listening to one speaker, I put it on a dolly and you know have a friend come over and move it around. And then as I'm listening and measuring i i look at the effects of moving it around if it's a pair of speakers and you're listening to the image change as you go this or you go that or you go that it's phenomenal it is insane uh take a pair of speakers tower speakers it doesn't really understands whatever put them on two little dollies you know a little thing that you buy for seven bucks with four four wheels yep. and you just have two people move them together um or you build a little robotic thing with like controls and you know they move and Build a robot. Let's build a robot. <laughs> or Aaron, asked, just come to my I house. had asked Grant Imahara to build one of these for me. Do you guys know who Grant Imahara is? No. no so he that. was the geeky. I feel like I should, though. You should. You will. When I tell you, you'll go, I, I know that guy. He was the geeky professor. Um, and he would show up once once in a while, and I'm trying to remember the, his whole route. Uh, but basically, on 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 the let's see, is anybody following up? So in MythBusters, yeah, somebody. MythBusters. Oh, so MythBusters. Oh, okay. There was the main people, and then once in a while, something would get complex, and they would ask the professor. I'm Grant Imahara. Um, he was my first engineer at THX. He was the first person I hired to help me do product testing and some product design interface uh, right out of college. And then he went to ILM to build robots and, and special effects stuff at ILM, which was his dream job. And then he joined Myth Mythbusters. And I was always like, Grant, you got to build me a thing that I can like move speakers around. It's like, I I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. He never, never got around to it. <laughs> he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And that's the end of that. Now, back to our program. Um, and I'm getting emotional because I miss him sorely. Aww. So a uh, pair of dollies 
move the speakers around and observe on an analyzer with a microphone like the one that Aaron has and with your ears, just listening, listening to how the sound changes. It's insane. It's insane. And, and I'll show you a diagram why in a second, because the interactions between the speaker and the room are changing. Every few inches you move it, you're, you're changing how it's pinging around the room and what you hear of it tremendously. So, Anthony, are you, are you saying there's room for both subjective listening and measurements? Like they're not completely different things? Does that sound like a leading question to you guys? Is, is that, is that, is that, is that <laughs> what's happening here? It's a loaded question. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and there is room. What a, what a, what a thought. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why now, and I'm going to keep repeating. Um, I am I'm a scientist. I'm, a, I'm an electrical engineer. Um, <clears throat> and I've also observed that the way... It's funny, we were talking about mics and like where they are. I've got two like right here in front of my desk. <laughs> they're here because they're they're either in op, not working right, or or either broken or not working right. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a, a TEF really high quality microphone. And this is uh, one made by Audix that, uh, that has an XLR output. Uh, you can buy a Behringer equivalent mm -hmm. for 60 bucks. There's no excuse to not have one of these. Yeah, anyway. Six. So what, it's it's just like the UMM6, but it's, it's uh, this one is, as passive. The UMM6 Excellent. is a USB. I forget the model number. Oh, I said uh, EMM6. EMM6. Um, yes. So XLR one. This does not listen like that. It does not. Ultimately, it uh, this this and the analyzer it's connected to does not listen the same way that sound waves that go into your ear canal here and there and go into your brain and are perceived. It's getting better. It's getting closer. There's all kinds of little tricks. I have a patent on a way to get closer. It's never the same. And that's why you need to listen. Okay. Now, try to do it without, without this. You'll never get there. It's kind of uh, what I like to say. It's kind of like trying to get to the baseball park and sit right behind home plate. If you don't have a map to get to the baseball park and you're in a new city, you're just going to drive around. You're going to miss the game. Right. So the, 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 the GPS, as they were, or the phone, is telling you how to get to the ballpark. And, and then you got to get your ticket and you got to walk up and look at how you get to the best view. Um, I was and, actually going to challenge you earlier when, I, when you said, you know, what we hear versus what we can measure. And I was going to say, you know, can you use flying as an, an analogy to, you know, looking at your gauges, something like that? Is there, is there something there? Um, <laughs> So I, I fly I fly by looking at three GPSs, two two iPads and one real GPS, and to not not get lost. And what what you see on there sometimes you don't see on the ground. It's insane. And if there's any pilots listening, you'll know what I mean. It's like you can be two miles from the airport and you're like, there's an airport over there. I can't see it. It's either slightly foggy, it's a little haze. There's a lot of city around it, and you're like. I'm glad I've got these instruments so I can actually, you know, go land this thing. Uh, and then there's one thing that the instruments don't feel, which is the seat of the pants. Like when you're, you know, when you're actually going around and you're trying to keep the right, um, the right coordination, there's things you feel in your body very, very quickly because of how your ear canals work. Now back to audio. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do this iteratively to do very good. Uh, very good analysis and measurement, and ultimately the the point of getting to good sound. You got to have these, so so you can get within the ballpark, and you got to bring these along too. Uh, which I I have I had mine permanently attached actually to my head. Um, and you you have to bring those, and you got to listen. You got to listen to program material, and then you got to measure. You got to listen. You got to measure. You got to listen until you get to the thing that's right. To me, the closest equivalent is cooking. 
You can follow a, follow a recipe to a tea. You know, you can like to the eighth of a teaspoon of that special spice. And then you go like this and you go, nah, it needed need more salt or it needed more pepper. You always need more pepper. Um, and that's how it is. Why is it? Maybe you're, Maybe the salt you're using, this is actually getting close to what happens, I think. The salt you're using was just a little less oomphy than whatever uh, the pink salt it right? wasn't salty enough it was right? the pink salt this the one. pink salt yeah mm -hmm. which is not from the himalayas the mountain of the himalayas at all anyway or maybe the pepper you're using was a little milder or stronger than the, <clears throat> than the pepper they had whatever uh there are some variances so mm. <clears throat> let's talk about let's talk about this so okay. you got to have a good speaker you may as if you can, if you're not doing the, my work, 90% of is, is integration work, which is it's all on plan. The speakers go on the wall, in the wall, behind stretch fabric. You can't move them. They are where they're going to be because we're interacting with architects and interior designers. And yet with all that, we can get really good sound. But if you actually are an enthusiast, like the people on this uh, hang, this chat, this podcast, thing, this podcast, this um, thing. You can, go with it. You, you can move speakers around. You may as well do that. Second thing. Third thing, you got to equalize them. Uh, now, I'm sorry, wrong order. Wrong order. Third thing is do a little bit of acoustical treatment to your room. And what I mean by a little bit is you got to have the right judicious amount. It's like salt. If a little bit is good, why don't you just pour the whole can in there? Nyeh. So I usually find that treating any more than 15 or 20% of the wall or ceiling surfaces with absorption overabsorbs the room and it don't sound so good anymore. So you got you to gotta use acoustical materials judiciously, absorption and diffusion. You got to know where to put them. I don't know that we have the time today to go into that, but I, I'm just- Yeah, gonna... I, we, I definitely said I want you back because uh, I, know, I know that a lot of the folks are going to want to hear more detail, right? And there's just not enough time. So even before- this whole thing, I, I invited you to be on another time. So there, there's, yeah. there's more I'll time. I'll throw in, I'll oh, throw oh. in a, a nod to that too, Anthony. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on absorption like in a, in a separate follow-on video because I've, I have some thoughts on that as well, but I'd, yeah. I'd really like your input on that. So I want to know staggered, to just not, you know, the different, I want to know. Well, like, you know, some, some speakers that maybe have like a rising treble could benefit more from absorption in the room than a speaker that maybe doesn't, you know, and, and I mean, it comes down to preference or directivity, you know, how wide a speaker is versus how narrow and how yeah. those factors play in. That's something I'd like to discuss. At a later yeah, point. We, we can certainly talk about that. Yeah. I, I will say that in the olden days, uh, speakers with really bad off-axis response were fixed by treating the room a lot. So a lot of older studios use speakers that were just crazy loud, but their off-axis was horrible. Mm -hmm. And by putting a ton of absorption in the room, you didn't hear the off-axis. You were basically anechoic. It was like giant headphones. Um, mm -hmm. That's not good sound. Uh, if anybody's ever walked into a recording studio like that and gone, okay, play it for me. It's got to sound great. And you're like, God, that sounds horrible. It's not <laughs> your ears that are broken. It's just that it don't sound so good. I'm going to show one quick yeah. slideshow here that shows. And while, while you're bringing that up, so I'd, I'll, I'll bring it up when I see it on, on screen. But it's interesting because... I contacted you because you purchased the, the toolkit, the spatial audio calibration toolkit. And then, so I called you and the first thing you said is congratulations on the, uh, on the stuff you're doing with the, you know, with the app. And so the folks already know here, I'm working on an app called magic beans and, uh, working on target curves. And so I thought that was surprising. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have expected you to, to know about that actually. Well, 
I'll, I'll show you why in a second, because this stuff all matters. So number one, get a good speaker. Number two, try to move it around to where the, especially the bass response doesn't suck. Number three, um, put treatments in the room. And this is a very quick, well, well, we can talk more about this later, but this is a quick top view of a room treated. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, this is me sitting here with my receding hairline and, this is an absorber on the right wall, another one, another one, another one. And these absorbers would maybe be, you know, four, four feet tall by, by two feet wide, 60 by 120 centimeters, um, which seems like a lot. But actually, if you look at the total surface area of the room, it's 15% it's of it. Same thing on the other side. I prefer them staggered for a reason that we don't have time to get into. Mm -hmm. And then this represents a diffuser that's going to re-radiate into the room hemi in a hemi-disc form. So like in a planar form, and these are diffusers that are going to re-radiate in a, in a hemispherical form. Um, and if you're serious about your sound and you have a dedicated or semi-dedicated room, or if you can put these things on the wall and cover them with stretch fabric so that they don't look ugly, you can end up with this. So the idea of the treatment, if it's done correctly, and I'm not saying you always have to do all of this, but... Um, if you can do this, the direct sound of your speaker is going to hit, hit your head, and the off-axis sounds are either going to get absorbed or scattered back in the room, absorbed or scattered, absorbed or scattered. And each one of these arrows is sort of pointing to an area, whoops, an area over here where that would be absorption or scattering. These are diffusers on the ceiling, and normally I also put absorbers in the fr front half of the ceiling, but I, I couldn't show them here. It, it, it would mess up with the animation. But the idea is you still want reflections from the room. You need, you need a sauce. The room needs to fill in somewhat so that in the end you get the sense that you get a direct sound and you get reflections that are, that are filling in all the way around. Otherwise, the room doesn't sound good. It sounds unnatural. Um, and I could give you lots of examples in cuisine, but nothing is better than something where you have some food and some sauce and the salt and the pepper all tied together and it's all mm, making me hungry. Uh, maybe I'll have to eat some chocolate. So um, that's, a, that's a, the, next, the next thing sort of in my, in my recommendations is to do that. Now, let me show you a room. This, that's this room um, in which, do, 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 turn that off. This is actually the response of the, this is the, a chart of the impulse response after some initial equalization. And this is showing, again, the, the, the sound at various frequencies that are hitting the microphone. Is this going to sound like complete dog do? Mm. Maybe. So here's what's interesting. The difference between this dip here that's at 76 and that peak is at 90, the very high resolution measurement over here uh, shows uh, 15 decibels of error, which is insanely bad. Yet you listen to this and it sounds like music. Like what? Well, your auditory system doesn't listen to all these little peaks and dips. We're, we don't have that tight of a resolution. And your auditory system is not a little microphone sitting there pointing up at the, at the sky. It's a pair of ears, two of them. If I, if I actually took two measurements and averaged them together, I'll show you that later, that would smooth out. Plus your head's always moving. You know, you're always averaging this thing out without realizing it. You're always moving around. Mm -hmm. So while this is what a single microphone can I can't measure, I can't see on here what is the smoothing on here uh, the smoothing one, one on, twelve okay on here is yeah one twelfth so one twelfth of course I yeah. could change the smoothing yeah I'm kind of uh, curious how that would look with psychoacoustic smoothing wow yeah oh 
<laughs> I have three screens. I click on that. It's showing up on the screen on over the here. Screen, yeah. Hold on one second. Let's change that over here. Let me close this. Let me go to controls. And there it is. Here. Seco acoustic smoothing. So, so I think that's what you're saying is like it's what more you hear. Yeah. So uh, I am going to mention this real quick. I have tried several of the auto EQ systems out there because I don't really relish the time of measuring and you know, doing virtual bands up and down. This is, that's no fun. The first 10 times you do it, it's exciting. The next 20 times you're like, okay, the next 500 times you're like, if I have to do this again, I think I'm going to slit my wrists. I'm only slightly exaggerating, but this is no fun. Yet, I see a lot of, of uh, systems out there that start from the wrong premise of what you hear, and therefore they correct the wrong things. In the end, they sound terrible. We'll get more to that later. Hmm. Now, I want what I want to show you here is the interpreted reflection decay time of this particular room. So this is a client who spent a lot of money on some pretty nice speakers and a pretty expensive surround processor and expensive amplifiers. And this is a measurement of the reflection decay time in the room. What does all this mean? You guys familiar with this, right? With this chart. Yes. So this is, a, this is a display. I'll put it 20 to 20 kilohertz. This is a display starting at 20 hertz, going through 100 hertz, up to one kilohertz, two, three, four, five, ten 10 kilohertz, and Room EQ Wizard basically stops there. Uh, you can go further in other programs, but whatever. And this is actually doing an interpretation of this really sophisticated measurement, showing you how long it takes for the sound to die out at these various frequencies. And in this particular room, where the client's really ha has aspirations for kick-ass sound, pardon my Portuguese, um, and uh, it shows that the reflection decay time is 1.2 seconds in the mid-range. So every sound, every sound that you put in the room in the mid-frequency is hanging out for, for over a second. Okay. It also shows that the sounds at 200 hertz die out after 600 milliseconds, half the time. It also shows that the sounds at high frequency die out, I'll go all the way to 10 kilohertz, they die out at 500 milliseconds, less than half the time. So you put a sound in this room out of perfectly good speakers. Um, and this room has no acoustical treatments because it's just not in the cards. There are some relationship issues. Um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a mixed, what I call a mixed environment. You know, it's a living room. There's a kitchen. There's open to everything. And, you know, you can clap your hands and it goes. Um, and the sound is going to hang out for 1.2 seconds in the mid-frequency. Um, and at low frequency, it's going to die out quickly. At a high frequency, it's going to die out quickly. Guess what that perfectly good sound, good pair of speakers sounds like? Hello. Yeah. There's. It sounds like there's no highs and no lows. It's all mids. <laughs> the joke in the industry. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, that little cough. I don't. I don't get it. Um, never heard of that in my life. Never heard that. So <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. So you start with a perfectly good speaker in which the frequency response, let me go back over to that. The unequalized frequency response look like this. Um, but what you're hearing is something that sounds like this. So now what do you do to this? Well, you treat it. You got to do something to reduce this giant error in the, uh, in the reverb time. So what you would want to do is not treat the highs. You would want to. You actually would want to put uh, some kind of absorbers uh, that 
have a lot of effectiveness between three, three and 400 hertz, which would be a two-inch thick mm -hmm. panel, and then basically stop being so effective about five kilohertz. There's a bunch of people who make those. They're thick panels that have a wood, a wood surface in the front with interesting decor. Uh, the Sonatus company that I have makes those too. They're called Deco Zorbers, but there's other companies. I'll, I'll always give credit when the competition makes things that are just every bit as good. Pick ours, pick theirs, do something. I'm not done yet. Note that this die that the reflection decay time dies down here and then goes back up. What, what is up here? Well, at lower frequencies, the, the low frequency waves are actually becoming resonant within the cavity and they're hanging out a lot. So what this room sounds like is it's got tremendous bass, no mid bass, this kind of shouty mid range and no highs. And now what do you do? Well, client says we're not putting acoustical treatments on here. And you try to like reason with them. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, now what? Well, you look at this and you go, okay, I'm going to put a very broad attenuation here over this entire range. And I'm going to turn down this mid-range centered around one and a half kilohertz, 1.2, 1.26 ISO third octave slots. And just going to like crank it down and l use these things. Listen to program material you know. And go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to adjust this until it doesn't sound so bad. And in the end, if you do your job correctly, uh, without changing the, the reflection decay time of the room, you can end up with this. So you'll notice this is sort of scalloped down here. You'll notice this is raised up. This is what it took for this room to produce sound out of the left speaker that sound like, sounded like decent music. Um, the normal target curves you would see, and actually, Joe, you'll see this, is would normally uh, suggest that this should go falling out, off more. And in fact, I had to like turn it back up so that it's almost a flat line so that, it, so that the high sounded correct. So what you're not seeing really is that ultimately I stepped on this mid-range energy about two octaves wide centered on 1.2 kilohertz until it started to sound good and then got rid of little errors um, in the other curve here, you know, this this error, this peak over here I had to pull out. That was just bad speaker design. Uh, but in the end, um, to be honest with you, because up until I was lying, no, to be honest with you, <laughs> in the end, while I sat and listened, I go, yeah, that doesn't sound okay. It's all right. You know, I can, you know, I'm listening to program material. I'm used to listening to a lot. I'm, I'm like mm -hmm. referencing it. The client was like, Oh my God, you've got it. It sounds amazing. I can't wait to get my friends over here. This is, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if I was any cuter, he probably had been kissing me. Um, Whoa. I like that. All right. And maybe okay. of a different gender. Hey. Um, I do live in San Francisco. We're pretty open. We it's do all right. It's all right. Do you. So um, <clears throat> you can do it. So you can start with this. So the funny thing is you can start with a speaker that doesn't have a very good frequency response. Mm. And you, in this case, I actually had the facility to move the left and right speakers around, not the center, not the surrounds. I, mm -hmm. I actually could move them around to smooth out the bass a little bit um, and put no acoustical treatments. And just by judicious use of equalization and ears and measurement and equalization and ears and measurement, you can get to a point. It's like, yeah, this is enjoyable. Uh, the imaging was good. You know, he was like really happy with how clear in stereo, stereo in two channel stereo, how clear he could hear the instruments in the middle. And if there was a guitar over here, he could hear it. If there was, you know, some cymbal crashes over here, he could hear it. Um, and I know that this room would sound a ton better if we could treat it, put something on the ceiling, put some drapes, do something, but you could get there. 
Now, I'm not done. I also know from having tried it that the auto EQ that was built into this particular piece of electronics, which I'm not going to mention, I just I don't want to be knocking anybody, didn't get even close to this. It produced sound that, for one, sounded different on every speaker. Now, mention what I mean by that in a second mm -hmm. and never produce that thing. It's like, yeah, it sounds like music. So sounds the same in all the speakers. Thank goodness through the work of Technodad and Joe Intel, there is now a test disc you can put on and you can listen to pink noise at the various channels in the room. That's like really quick. You do all the CQ and it should sound like the right sound. But also when you go from channel to channel, it should sound reasonably similar. And most of the auto yeah. EQ systems I know out there from all of the brands and all the different products, that simple test fails. Wow. Yeah. And now pink noise is a very sensitive. So uh, I haven't explained because it's a test signal that basically covers from the lowest frequency you can hear to the highest frequency. It does fall off at uh, 3 dB per, per octave, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a noise sound that sounds like static. And you put it to every speaker after you've equalized it, it should sound more or less the same. And most of the auto EQ schemes I've seen don't. So there's reasons why they don't, starting with this don't listen like the ear does. Right. Um, and uh, if you use, this is ultimately a plea for doing it the right way, which is to use a manual EQ. Many of the products that have auto EQ also give you diddles that you can do. You can go to, I'll mention it, you can go to Dirac and tell it, okay, well, you did your thing. Now I'm going to change the target curve because I'm noticing that the left sounds brighter than the right. And so I'm going to tell you that the left needs to, needs to have a different target curve than the right. So you, you redo your calculation until you get it right. And I've so done that's that. That's interesting. So uh, you're, you like to do different EQs per speaker. Every I like every speaker to end up sounding like the same sound, which so is the pink. same same tonality. Same and tonality, and yeah. you can use pink so noise, or you or you either listen to pink noise, or you listen to Diana Krall, excuse me, <laughs> or you listen to whoever you want to listen to. Actually, the excuse me was not about Diana Krall; it was my throat going. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Diana Krall is interesting in that a lot of her recordings are kind of bright, and if things are a little too sharp on the top end, you're like. But whatever you like to listen to, if you can actually play it around the room, one speaker at a time, it should sound exactly the same or else you're not going to get immersive audio. It, it won't. That's right. You know, the only way it's going to work is that they're all equally contributing. Right. So pink That's noise what we is do really in car audio, too. Yeah. Like I learned that in car audio because you're asymmetric yeah. seating, right? Like you're yeah, not you're asking, located. You're asking, yeah. So you've got to balance the gain and it's not just levels. It's equalization as well. I mean, so in, in car audio, you go to balance three things. Gain, delay. Yeah. And, and EQ, that right. closer driver to you needs to be delayed so the other one has time to arrive at you so you end up right. with an Im image in the middle. Of course, the per person sitting on the other seat is like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, is, is the problem. Broken you forget sound. it. Yeah, they're they're it. the problem. It, it's interesting, though, because most of these automatic calibrations, they usually kind of like put speaker pairs together. So for Dirac, it would put left and right together and, it, and EQ them as, as a pair and same with the surrounds and rear surrounds. Uh, that's just kind of how it does. And I think Odyssey does the same thing too. It, um, it groups it groups they, things together. They may, and so it's they interesting that you, you do it separately. That's what I like to do also. Yeah. And I think some people are like, are you, are you sure? Are you sure that's what we want to do? I'm like, I got you. Um, I'm not going to find it quickly, but I just finished a really high-end, super, super precise room, uh, a post-production facility in which it was using three of our speakers, the Guarani system speakers in the front, 
and I tuned them to be, you know, with the analyzer, a complete overlay first, then listen mm -hmm. to them go, okay, well, we need to balance that, retune them to where they overlaid, and the left and right didn't sound the same. Why? Because because the character of the reflections in the left side of this room and the right side of the room were different enough okay. that they sounded different. Sure. And so yeah. then you you grab the bands of EQ until you hear pink noise going, and you listen to them. And then you listen to the phantom image between the two. And as you get them to sound the same, the phantom image gets more and more precise to where it's like razor right sharp. In this, right in um, then I, I like one of the, the, the things that you do where you have an IEM that you know yep. the response of. Like, I thought that was a yeah. super cool trick. Yeah. Right? So you have these IEMs and then you're listening to the pink noise through there. So you know what the source material is. And then you play... The sound from the speakers and you know you can kind of say like is this sound about right so it's the same I, thing I we do in car audio too cool oh so you do that that's yeah. that's these little guys at emotic ers very expensive you plug them you basically are jamming pink noise right down into your ear now interestingly enough it's the unit in here does not feed actual pink noise it, it feeds a head related transfer function correction for it sounding like pink noise coming from your ear bouncing off there going out to your the opinion of your your outer ear and down your ear canal but there's an <clears throat> an average compensation response for that so that it sounds right so i listen to pink noise listen to pink noise in the speakers listen to pink noise and get them to sound right so is it it's sort of subjective objective it's it's subjective in that uh by the way the term subjective in in science means it's perceived. It doesn't mean that you got a bias, right? Okay. The term per subjective in plain English means, well, you know, you got your own opinions about this. Mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in wine tasting and listening oh. to visual tests, subjective means this is what you perceived as opposed yeah. to objective, which is what a, a piece of machinery has measured. And that's, um, I think that's super interesting. That's why I wanted to talk about acoustics versus psychoacoustics. Yeah. Right? Because psychoacoustics means how we humans how we perceive. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people get confused because they're like, well, all that matters is just listening, right? The only thing that matters, I'm like, yeah, but they, well, they're connected, right? You you can you can correlate the two. They're they're not completely disconnected. And right. so that's what I would love for people to start to understand is you know, there, there's a connection between what there, you can measure, how you hear. We we have an understanding of this stuff. Right. It's not this a lot of the stuff is not brand new. Right. You know, there's a lot of research that's been done about this. It, uh, the earliest reference I have to some of this is from 1952. So it's not brand new. I've got an old book on acoustics that my dad gave me by Harry Olson that talks about this. So um, I'm noticing that it's an hour into it. Yeah. Are we are we like cut off? Can we talk for another five minutes? Uh, I mean, as I can... long as they don't kick me out of this dealership, we're good to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so it all comes down to techno dad and having paid more. Well, why don't you buy something else? Yeah, uh, dude. Yeah, see, exactly. Buy a new strut. For let, let, let me get a new car real quick. Hey, go get, yeah, get, get, get the Porsche. Get the Porsche. Just get the Porsche while we're talking. <laughs> no, go buy no. your Twix from the uh, vending machine and reenact the whole Seinfeld episode <laughs> where George yeah, bought a right. Twix. Well, they've got um, free snacks here for the. Uh, for the for the guess anyway the mechanics i gotta ask the, the boss one. if it's uh it's okay oh i forgot we're the, um, we're the boss so let me let yeah. me share this screen here uh am i let's see yeah you... yeah here we go all right let's let's talk about this so i started off with I buy an r8 yeah go buy an r8 um you gotta have a good speaker you sure. gotta you gotta place it correctly you gotta have some acoustical treatment and then you gotta tune the eq i just want to give you a little bit more uh 
of a of a visceral expression of that. So, um, I I'll go to this thing here. This is what happens in a room. I, I've I've showed you this a little bit, but I just want to I just want to uh, run it by you. Center speakers playing sound. There's a blue line going from it to your head, and then there are sounds bouncing off the room. Um, I think I brought the this wrong. Is so it's a maze. It's like one of those uh, laser things that they're trying to get through in the movies, right? Right. Yeah. So what's interesting, uh, people don't realize, is that there's one blue vector, you know, one one tunnel of sound from the speaker to your head, and then there's a sound that doesn't that just goes slightly off axis for the speaker and just misses your head, and. At low frequency, the waves are big, so it's going to hit your head. But at the mids and highs, it starts to get smaller and smaller. And it is like a wave that's passing you. You're not even hearing it. And it bounces over there around the room, bounces around the room. And then there's an off-axis energy at 20 degrees, 30 degrees, 40 degrees. And if you just look at those bounces in 10 degrees, this is just 10 degree increments. There's all these red arrows of the reflections off the room. Now, big news. There's in a typical room with no treatments. So take a room that's 25 feet long, 18 foot wide, 10 foot ceiling. There's about three or four times more energy coming back from these red arrows than the blue arrow. Three or four times. So what goes into your ear canal is three or four times more sound that's bounced around the room than the clean sound coming from the speaker to you. Reflections dominate. Now, you treat the room, and as long as you don't over-treat it, you're going to bring that ratio down. But even, even when you treat it, covering only 15 or 20% of the, the wall surfaces, you're still going to be dominated by reflections, about two to one. Okay, So even in a treated room, there's twice, two times more sound energy coming from all the reflected field than the direct field of the speaker. Is that a good enough reason to worry about what happens in the reflected field of a, of a room? I think so. <clears throat> so the quality so this is the of the reverberant field. This is what's called a reverberant field. Hold on. Let me close okay. my window over here because it's getting. Uh, yeah, you got the whole a uh... reflection over here. All right. Can you hear me? Can you see me now? So yeah. uh, ultimately, this is a this is a another plea for following the work of Dr. Floyd tool and other people who have been working on this a lot, which is Thank that ul ultimately um, the quality of the reflected sounds are really what matters. When you're sitting and listening to a speaker mm. and go, oh, it sounds good. Okay. That means that the direct sound of the speaker is good and the reflected, the reflected sounds sound through the room are okay. Well. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's Amazing. important. Really important. And, so, and that's measurable. And that's measurable because you can you can look at the what's called the sound power of a speaker. And you, you can look at the off-axis response. You can look at the people who measure them. You can look at manufacturers that provide that. And you can go, here's a speaker that has a good axial response, a good direct sound. But then also all the reflected sounds are also pretty good. And that's going to sound good in a room. And EQable. It's EQable. What, so now what is the room going to do this? It's still going to change it a little bit, but mainly in the low frequency. So in the case of the work I've done, um, in the speaker company, we developed a special waveguide, which is role is to put the, the, the tweeter into it and basically force it out to be the same dispersion at all frequencies. So whether you're listening okay. right here or if you're looking 
at a reflection that's bouncing off here, it's the same response. If it's bouncing here, it's the same response. It's quieter, but it's the actual same axial response and same phase response, really important. And uh, that's sound power. That's what we call, that's what's known as the sound power in speaker design. That's a good way to design a speaker. We're not the only people doing that. We take this to kind of a, another level with some new patterns and stuff, but there's plenty of speakers out there that have good sound power. Um, and they usually sound better to most people. The, the listening tests that the Harman crew and other people have done have revealed that, yeah, more people like the sound of those speakers. So um, that's an example of a speaker we make that looks like this, you know, industrial piece of gear with two good yep. woofers and a, a tweeter inside this waveguide, which his job is not to do this to it, but actually spread it out. So that's not a horn. It's that's not a horn. It's a waveguide. That's a waveguide. I mean, it looks like okay. a horn, but its job yeah. is not to amplify the sound in this direction. Instead, the tweeters, in this, the case of this speaker, the tweeters at the top, and just like an, an, uh, an irrigation nozzle, which is job is to spray out the sound, the sound, spray out the water evenly so all of your plants are well irrigated. And I know this because I spent most of yesterday, Mother's Day, fixing the irrigation at Gardening. home. <laughs> and now my back really hurts. Um, it's the same thing. Its job is to like spray a really even dispersion in the room. Okay. Um, I'll flip through these slides. This is actually how it's done. The, the, tw the tweeter is not in the throat this way. It's actually transversal. Almost like um, a speaker tongue right there. But the main idea is to distribute the sound horizontally at all frequencies. Now, a lot of manufacturers say they have wide dispersion, but they don't always tell you at what frequency. And you really want to look at the response charts to, sh to, to look at what is the off-axis response. So There you go, Aaron. I know you like wide dispersion. Yeah. I like wide dispersion, generally. That's it. So the funny thing is all speakers are wide dispersion at some frequency, right? Mm -hmm. So even a speaker with a horn, like, like this on the front of a speaker, uh, of front of a tweeter that crosses over at one kilohertz, at 500 hertz, it's wide dispersion. So it goes from wide dispersion to suddenly narrow dispersion. So what does that do? If you took a speaker like that, and I went back to my diagram, actually, let, let's just say that uh, it, you had that. So that this arrow here on a speaker like that was down 8 dB compared to that. Now what's bouncing off the wall is, instead of being nice and smooth, looks like this. And now what you're hearing in the room is like it's a little dull. So now you have to equalize it, but you're going to equalize it up. And the direct sound is going to have a rise in response. And the reflected sound plus all that is going to be flat. And now on some program material, it sounds like this. And on other program material, it sounds good. And you start to chase your tail. And mm -hmm. no auto EQ right. system I know knows how to untangle this correctly. Yeah, I've, I've seen speakers where they have like really awesome directivity. And even if the frequency response isn't the best, I'm like, I could work with that. Correct. And I'm, I'm okay about to with show that. one. I'm about to show one. So yeah. ultimately, the Holy Grail is a speaker that has a really even dispersion. Um, actually, what matters more than being wide is to have constant dispersion so that as you go off axis, as it's fallen off, it doesn't fall off like this or like this or like this. It's just a really smooth change. And then you can equalize that. You can yeah, make I think that Aaron, work. You've, you've, you've interviewed uh, yeah. Earl Getty, right? Right. Yep. Earl Geddes went so far as to say that if you have speakers with constant directivity, you don't need EQ. I disagree because the room is going to have its own sound power that's also going mm -hmm. to affect it. So yeah. if you have a room with incredibly well-treated response and speakers with constant directivity and some higher directivity, maybe you can get to the point where you don't need EQ. And at that, at that point, 
It's all great. But then I also find that every speaker is still going to sound a little different. Anyway, so this is how the, the directivity is measured is, is a spinorama. There's 70 points measured either in an anechoic chamber or a simulated near field anechoic. If you're lucky enough to have a clipple system in your living room. <laughs> Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually the dining room, right, Aaron? It, oh, the dining room. Yeah, so you guys don't room, eat. Yeah. You just eat out or something. Um, I just eat. On, I just eat on the couch and listen to my soundbar. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Um, uh, so here, here's the spinorama response of one of our speakers, the Alpha. Uh, Please don't take this as an ad for just our speaker. Take this as an education of charts you should be looking at. And you're going to start to see this more and more from manufacturers, certainly from Aaron and other people that voluntarily go measure these things and publish them. You're going to see that. And what you see here is the, the, the black and the green here are the direct response from the speaker to your ear and, and the listening window, which is an average of this kind of oval window of the sound going towards the listeners in the room. In the case of the speaker, they're a complete overlay of each other. The speaker has really smooth uh, listening window. In yellow is an interesting thing called the early reflections, which is the sound that goes over to the walls, the ceiling, and floor. So it starts at, uh, so I'm sorry, the, the listening window is 0, 15, 30 degrees, and 15 degree, it's actually usually measured with a higher resolution, but it's an average of that. 0, 15, 30 in one direction, 15, 30 in the other direction, and plus and minus 20 vertically as this, this listening oval. And then the early reflection is the stuff that would hit the wall. So uh, after 30, you get 45, so 45, et cetera, out to, out to 75. I don't think it includes 90 in the latest specs, but this is basically what's going to the walls. And that particular speaker has a response that goes to the walls that it's quite similar. It is attenuate he attenuated here. This is an older version. The newer ones are actually smoother. Um, but it's a very similar curve compared to the axial response. So what's hitting the room is very similar to what's going direct. And then in blue is what's called the sound power, which is the net spherical average of all the energy going in all directions, forward, top, bottom, left, right, back, everywhere, uh, with a weighting. It's not straight uh, equivalent arithmetically, but there's a weighting. Anyway, and you'll see on that speaker that it's very similar to the axial response. There's a little 3 dB bobble over here that comes <laughs> from the crossover directivity between the, the mids and the tweeter newer versions that we've added away on that so that's smoother. You can also see down here in these spinorama curves the early reflection directivity index and the net directivity index that shows that this speaker has a directivity index of about 5 dB broadband. Um, here's another speaker we may call the Tau. This is a, a two-way two floor standing self-powered speaker. All the speakers we make, by the way, are active. And by using active crossover, you can fix a lot of issues in the directivity. Um, this is the off-axis response of a Rixos S non-average, where you're looking at the progression. Uh, this is our smallest speaker. You're looking at the progression horizontally. As you see, as you go off-axis, it doesn't suddenly like nosedive. It just attenuates. Um, this is somebody else's speaker. Uh, not, brand X. Uh, brand X. Not totally smooth, but not terrible. Uh, this over here is the sound power, the average. Uh, you need to zoom in on that Y-axis a little bit, too. Yeah. Uh, this is somebody else's <clears throat> speaker, unnamed. Another brand it was the XY. Um, yeah, I mean. This is a speaker in which when you look at the frequency response, it's kind of funky. But I think when it's you the look R200. At, it is. You, 
I'm not. Uh, oops, you've given it a. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I'm, we, we've we've measured that speaker. Aaron's me- measured that speaker. I have the. I've measured that speaker. We know what it does. Uh, let's see. I was going to try to cheat this. Anyway, it's I all can't. good. Um, it is so, what it is. Um, Just the measure. So what's interesting with the speaker is this character, this mm-hmm. directivity index, which is up and down and up and down. So it goes quite directional at the high frequency. Mm. which you can see in the sound power. How are you going to correct this? What what the speaker is going to sound like in the room is sort of a little bit the inverse of this response, which is mm-hmm. it's going to uh, it's going to sound a little dull on the top end. It's going to have a peak and dip because what you're listening to is, remember, is the sound power. There's people who are going to say, well, what? but I can hear the speakers over there. There's three times more energy coming from everywhere else. You're lying to me. I can speak, hear the speakers over there. You guys know, you know why you can hear where the speaker is coming from? Uh, Haas effect. Who's that Haas guy? Uh, pre- are we talking oh, about Haas, president president's effect, not president's president's effect coined by Mr. Haas many years ago. Mm-hmm. It says that your ear brain system, your you know humanoid animals do that too. I feel like this is a test. I'm I'm, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> you're, you're doing good actually by doing that. It gives me time to drink some water and and uh, maybe have some chocolate. I don't know. Um, chocolate again, huh? Chocolate. Um, remember remember chocolate tells you what the nutrition facts are but speakers don't we got to change that um so so you don't want to eq the places where there's a lot of uh change happening so what do you what do you do with this you put the speaker in a room and it's going to sort of sound like the inverse of this curve so uh you're going to pull you know this is going to be attenuated you're going to push up two and a half kilohertz so that on on kind of steady state music things like orchestral it doesn't sound like it's something on voices it doesn't sound like the voices are too far away and then you listen to strident sound effects or percussions and now you've pushed up that two and a half kilohertz and it's like oh shit. yeah um it's really hard to fix a speaker like this well so so Bottom here's line. the thing with this particular speaker that um that one if i recall correctly a lot of the irregularity and the directivity is due to the vertical placement of the tweeter and the mid range right yeah so so this is the area where i will take the the data and provide a standalone linearity plot but then i'll also plot the horizontal only directivity index so you can kind of separate that out because when i was Correct. talking to dr tool about that i think he was saying that the verdict was still out on you know, the floor and ceiling bounce, like how much that actually matters and that they had actually done some testing where they had simulated removing the floor and people didn't like it. Yeah. Which I found very interesting. So that's one kind of caveat I, I throw out when I see these things. And I'm yeah. like, some of that could be to, due to the vertical. And I don't know personally, I don't know how much I need to worry about that or not. Right. You're right. The, the vertical, uh, the way the vertical is interpreted by your auditory system is really different. Check this out. Um, the, uh, be- because your two ears are on are bolted on your head this way, you have a pretty good discrimination between the first arriving sound and therefore the Haas effect, precedence effect, and the reflections this way, because you can tell the difference in sound between here and there. The, the correlation between the two ears is shadowed by your head. There's a different arrival time. And so the, the reflections that are horizontal have a low interaural cross-correlation. That's the term. Reflection off the ceiling hits your two ears identically. And so then it's harder to separate it from 
the the direct sound right. because you don't have all the same cues. It's arriving later, but mm -hmm. you don't have all of the same information, the psychoacoustic information to go, well, that's obviously a reflection. So depending on the kind of speaker and how far the ceiling and how far the floor is, all these different things, it can affect it tremendously mm -hmm. or not at all. And so it gets complicated. And a lot of work has been done in these anechoic spaces where you have all these little speakers everywhere where you can simulate those reflections. Anyway, let me show you another speaker. This is some other speaker, whatever. Well, let's mm -hmm. keep going. Um, so let's go to this speaker that I had earlier, which is predicted to have this in-room response. So the prediction is you put the speaker in a room with or without treatments, and it's going to sound like this. It's going to have a mid-range dip, which could sound good on music, as in it makes the strings sound soft. It makes it makes horns sound nice and smooth, all good. But on, on movies, it means that for one, dialogue is going to sound very, very Not soft old. because you're missing yeah. that two and a half kilohertz clarity. Sound effects are going to sound recessed. It's basically wrong. Sounds like but, an LS35A right there. Uh, maybe. <laughs> the uh, BBC dip, right? But the but take a look at the directivity <clears throat> of the speaker. The the So while all of these curves look pretty, like, ooh, uh, mm -hmm. not pretty, if you actually look at the directivity index, the sound power directivity index, which is this curve mm -hmm. compared to the listening window, which is the red curve, if you just do a mathematical division of those two, you'll end up with this. And this is a speaker oh. that, other than this rise over here, has a pretty smooth off-axis, or has an off-axis. Aaron, you got to take off, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Anthony. I, I got to cut out. I was trying okay. to make it quiet in the background, but it was right. great to, to actually get to talk to you. And I hope I get to jump in with you guys sooner. Sounds great. All right, yeah. take care. Thanks. Um, later. So, actually, later, um, I got to go too. So I guess since, since right. Aaron's, Aaron's going, we have uh, a three-hour drive. Home, okay, you so, got to uh, you got to take off. You know what? While while you're here, uh, Chana, can we just jump into something real quick? Because I know that you wanted to talk about this. It was a. I know you wanted to to talk about this. and we can get back to this if you want um but you know when we were making this toolkit we were finding out certain things anthony and uh you know we were, we we're kind of just talking about some of our findings and you know my stance is about science and, and you know science is basically you have this information and a lot of times you get more information and you kind of have to change like you have to change your stance and in your ideas and how things work and so when we were doing this, we were finding these different aspects of like where things are placed and just presenting what our findings, right? And people were yeah. kind of saying, mm, you guys are, this is not good information, right? They didn't like what, some of the stuff yeah. we were saying. So I'm curious because a lot of people were saying, you got to watch Anthony Grimani. He's going to school you guys. And I was like, please, I hope he oh. does. Like, that would be great. I would love to be schooled, right? Uh, you know, as long as I don't have to pay too much, you know, but... So so anyway, that that's basically it. Is um, we are finding out some stuff when it comes to uh, making this toolkit, you know, using uh, the the Dolby Panner and and Logic. And uh, yeah, do you want to kind of mention that real quick? I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this. Um, so as far as let's go with the front left and right speaker, right? Uh, they've always said to place them thirty degrees off the center, right? So we've got 30 degrees to the left, 30 degrees to the right. If I were to take a sound... Who's right, they? Who's they? I mean, that's kind of like... Um, what is it? The U... Is it the UTI standard? Yeah, IT, IT standard. IT standard. Uh, basically, so I'm going to pause you right there. I'm going to pause you right there. So oh. there's, there's all these different standards and all these different things. 
Uh, I'm going to say that for this listenership, viewership, mm. 60 degrees is not the right number. And here's why. 60 or 70 years of film sound, let's just say starting in the mid-70s, if you go with the rebirth of Dolby Stereo, um, the left and right speakers have been at 45 degrees. Ah, really? Now, what happens when you go to 60s? Well, they're wider than what the mixer heard. Also, in many rooms and many speakers, when you peel them to 60, the image gets really vague in the middle. Well, that's all I got to say. What's this is really amazing, right? That, like, that it totally coincides with what we found out. Because if I take a sound, let's say the pink noise, and put it uh, 30 degrees to the left in the Dolby Atmos panner, that sound comes out of the left and the center speaker. So to just fully engage one speaker, it's that 45 degrees, either left or right. And Joe that's and I were we, on, on their panner. So this is uh, from Dolby, Dolby's yeah. panner on Apple Logic. They work very closely together. And so I've told other people, right? I was I was telling this to Wilfried at Oro 3D, and he's like, he's he was like, no, that's not true. That, that that's impossible. The pan law has to be 30. That's the standard. And I'm like, you want to log into my computer? You can see that this. And he's like, that's this is crazy. So anyway, we went and talked about that for you know good two three hours, mm -hmm. and he was just shocked. But it's not every single uh, uh, DAW, right? So in Reaper, it's activated at 30 degrees so it was just interesting that you know what we found in the dolby atmos panel 3d panel was, yeah. it was it was doing it 45 degrees and i've always seen 22.5 to 30 degrees right that's what yeah, i've seen that's the right number so to be clear and i see reverend slim was indicating that what i mean is a 45 degree subtending mm -hmm. angle plus and minus 22 mm -hmm. and a half okay. this bumps my microphone this yeah. business of the panner uh, calling 45 sounds sounds funky, and I, I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, well, I like, here, we were... here's how here's how it kind of came about, because I wanted to do a test on our toolkit where I told Chana, you know what, let's do, let's just call out the degrees where we're placing the object, right? So center, zero, zero. right? Okay, that's we know that. And then I was like, you know, we'll just go around and then just call out where we are, and it should come from the same place. And we found out, like, this is not going to come from the same place. Right, mm -hmm. as where we're putting it on the panner. Because if we're activating the right 100%, that's the visual panner is showing 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to work. So we ended up having to kind of scrap that idea. But it, it, it was very confusing to me as right. to how that it's going to work because I'm sure a lot of these people who are making music nowadays for, for Apple Music and they're going to be using Logic and they're going to make stuff in Atmos... I don't know that they're thinking about this stuff. They're just like, I want something to be over here. It shows yeah. that it's over here on the visual panner, but it doesn't really correspond where with where it would sound uh, to most people in their home theater yeah. systems mm -hmm. or in their playback mm -hmm. systems. Right. And the th the reason, like, at we were just going back and forth about it, Joe and I, and I was just like, Dolby just had to just throw it out the window, and just kind of like, okay, maybe maybe it was just easier. For them to set up the panner this way, I don't know. But to engage either the left, front left or front right speaker, we have to put that at a 45 degree angle. That sound, hmm. which is pretty odd. What do you? Yeah. What are your thoughts on on that? And also, this kind of extends out to the uh, the height. Also, so we did a test where Chana moved uh, an object from the left front speaker straight up, right, and so. You know, if we're using the the mix room standard for Atmos, well, it's not going to really sound like it's going. It's not going to correspond to Straight what up, it's yeah. shown visually. 
it's probably going to go up and towards, towards you. you because that's where the speaker is. Haas effect, right? Precedence right. effect. Uh, we can't really fake that if the speaker's there, that's your your brain's smart enough to know that it's it's there. Right. There's yeah. some hints. Um, so we thought that was kind of interesting too. And we we're just talking about like, hmm, you know, this is how do we connect these two between what we're doing with what we're making, which is a calibration toolkit. And we're trying to help people actually place stuff where the object is on the panner, but it doesn't really correspond with the, the specs that we're seeing. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I mean, in, 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 on all the cardinal points on the base layer, personally, I wouldn't want to use a panner. I just go, this goes to left, right? That mm -hmm. channel of the seven one bed layer. Sure. Uh, but if the pan pot that allows you to move things around is not uh, has essentially what you're saying has a user interface that doesn't match your expectation. You know, forty five degrees is close to where the wide channel is, not where the left channel is. Uh, like, right like literally, if you you can also type in the degrees, right? Yeah. So instead of using in, the yeah. panner, you can just type yeah. it in, and you'd yeah. have to type in forty five if you want to activate right or left one hundred percent. Ooh, that's weird. Yeah. We should ask Dolby or Logic or some, you know, somebody that wrote that. And ultimately, it's just whatever they wrote and the laws of it, you know, mm. the, the law of the pan pot. That's what it's turned. That's what it's called. It's called. Um, but I, I do want to actually go back but before you, mm -hmm. before we finish this. This yeah, whole yeah. thing about, you know, what led to having this call today is this dis this discussion of target curves. Yes. Um, Let's talk about that. And uh, I, you know, I don't know how you're going about writing. Tana, if you have to take off, by the way. You have to take off. Uh, wifey says, "Take your time, babe. We got pizza and bubbles. And if you guys know what bubbles are, that's champagne. Yeah, okay. I'm the one driving. <laughs> okay, they're having we, a party so in the backseat. We, yeah. yeah, we have bubbles. We excellent. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me go back to that. Um, I promise I won't take too much more time. Besides, I got stuff I got to keep working yep, on yep, over yep. here. Um, so here here's a speaker that needs equalization." Okay. These are mm -hmm. anechoic responses. You put it in a room um, and the low frequency response is going to go up and down. You know, the, the, like, don't tell me your room's not going to affect the speaker. I don't, I don't tell me you can put so much acoustical treatment that you're going to like have that be linear. That's a lie. Anybody who says you that has also got a, a bridge they want to sell you and you should just. And some magic beans too, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's somewhere, bo somewhere below two or 300 Hertz, the room's going to start to take over and introduce peaks and dips in this. And I don't know how to do <clears> annotations <throat> on this live stream. There's got to be a way to do it, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need an EQ. That's, you know, that's how it is. So you're going to put some acoustical treatments to reduce the amount of reflected energy. You're still going to maintain the sound power as long as the acoustical treatment system is, is correct. You're still going to be listening to this. So you got to EQ this out. And so you're going to smooth this out. There's going to mm. be some errors at low frequency. You're going to smooth this out. And this is a speaker that I believe, could, like you said, Joe, could be made to sound okay, even though it started off as something that's not very smooth response. The other one, you couldn't. You would end up chasing your tail. So just to kind of finish up on this, if you knew what the speaker was and you knew what its directivity was, mm -hmm. you could actually come up with a target curve that goes, this is what we, this is what we should end up with. And that's the whole point. And because, um, because I've talked a lot about how a lot of people use a, just a, a, a prescribed target curve. I should yeah. use the Harmon target curve. Well, I've talked to Dr. Floyd tool and he said, that's not meant to be used in that way. And we've talked on the phone and I, I said, if you're to guess, it's a better guess than flat. Right. Yeah. It's a better guess. But 
it's still not correct for every single situation. Even if you're to use the JBLM2 that they used, still not every single situation because it's an average. And so, you know, I've looked into, uh, you know, you said that you have some patents on this and you you do, uh, it's SBIC is what I saw, uh, sliding you band integration yeah. curve. And uh, just to let you know, uh, my method when I'm doing my, uh, with my app is not the same. So just to let, just to let you know, you know, well, the, the you, measurements are, the, I mean, taking the, measurements the, is part of it, but everybody takes measurements, but uh, yeah. your method is a little bit different. It's interesting, um, but I, I have a different approach. Yeah. Well, the SBIC is a measurement method in which you're starting with, I know nothing. Like, mm. And the measurement method there is, let's measure the near field. And I don't mean by that a microphone far away with a short window. I'm saying bring the mic within two or three feet of the speaker and figure out what it's putting into the room. Then I'm with you. plant four microphones, four, five, six microphones in different places in the back of the room. I use four microphones with what's called a multiplexer, which is a thing that switches from one to the other and you average out. And look at what that's doing, which is the far, you know, the far field in the room, the actual long term. And stare at both of those and integrate those two together with a crossover slope, which is all part of the patent. And you'll end up with something that when you listen to it, you go, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like pink noise on my edemotics. And that sounds like Diana Krall, if we keep using yeah. her, um, more often than not, it's it's not perfect either because it's still microphones, you know, which I'm going to keep doing that. They don't listen like the ear and the brain, but it gets you a little closer. Yeah. Um, and some of the analysis tools out there try to do that. They try to measure a, sh a shorter time window, thereby rejecting more of the room. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them do it pretty good. Some some of them don't. Um, many 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 years ago. Uh, uh, there, there was a, a, a system out there that people were using quite a bit that had not a sliding window, but a different approach at looking at the, the different time windows. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a thing you got to do. You, you got to understand what it is. Now, if you can generate an application in which you take data that in which you know the frequency response and the the actual sound power character of that for one, mm -hmm. and then for two, you infuse that with knowing something about the reverb in the room for two, yeah. you can come up with a target curve that you tell people, look, you should be looking for this response because that's gonna make it work right. I that's do exactly, that. That's, a, that's exactly what our, our goal is with with the app. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we have definitely different approaches to that, but I think the same idea, the same idea that, you know, uh, every room is different. The speed, the type of speaker matters, right? Right, and that it also matters the type of measurements that you're taking. Right. So you don't take the right measurements, you're not, you just don't have enough information. Right. And so I can look at a lot of these room corrections and say they just don't have enough information to, to make a good correction. You know, they can do, they can make a guess, could be correct, but it you can depends. make a better guess if you yeah. take better measurements. Right. That's and that's, that's where you have to bring bring your ears. Um, so what's interesting in what you're trying to do is um, uh, if, I, if I can go back to showing the screen, yeah. let's see, stop screen setting. Um, so I'm going back to the alpha speaker, older product, whatever. N note that the sound power is very flat all the way up. Uh, a very, uh, it doesn't fall off like most speakers do, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, this, this speaker here has a sound power or a directivity that you can see the directivity going up, which means the sound power has fallen off, which is pretty typical as, mm -hmm. as the tweeters start naturally 
to beam. You know, they actually have a hotspot in front of them. If you want to hear that, play pink noise on a speaker, move around, and you'll hear the hotspots. So these speakers have this wide dispersion because they've got these waveguides. And then let me go back. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm, I'm not... <clears throat> this isn't propaganda for buy our speakers. They're the best speakers in the world. Well, you should. This is propaganda for the importance of having a wide and constant dispersion. And right. Harman has speakers that do that. And other people have speakers that do that. The guys at Paradigm, they obsess over that. Uh, there's a bunch of people who do that. And it doesn't necessarily cost a whole lot more, a little bit more, but uh, it's the right way to go about it. What we have found from now six years of doing this is that the target curve, if you want to call it, on the top end, doesn't have that, you know, that Harman thing that it's fallen off. Uh, you know, the, t the typical Harman target is a bit of boost at the low frequency. It goes like that, gently rolls off, and somewhere around six or seven kilohertz doesn't nosedive, but it falls off. If we do that, our speakers are going to sound dull because the sound power is flat, and it's measured by the microphone. So it's a, almost a flat, the in-room response that sounds right. Ultimately, it's what sounds right. Mm -hmm. Right. Ultimately, if you stop with the measurements and listen to program material, program material, you know, and you go back and forth and you go, what does it take to sound right is actually a, a flatter response, which is exactly what you're what you're working on, which is tell me what the sound power of the speaker is. Hopefully tell me what the room is doing. I'm going to tell you a, a, a uh, sort of a customized target curve for what you should be expecting for this to sound right. Yeah, I've experienced that with a, a line array right. uh, that I've worked on. So we know the properties of a an array and how how it changes uh, based on distance and how that's different. And the target curve on that particular system was way flatter than you would expect for the top end because right. it's a different type of speaker, right? Right. And so if we put a different speaker there, then the target curve might be different. So I think uh, we're on the same page when it comes to the fact that target curves depend on your room and the speaker and how the right. speaker interacts with the room. So, yeah, I'm excited for, for the app. I'm excited for people to try it out. I'm excited for you to try it out. Yeah, to look see forward to it. what you think. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a big deal because, you you know, you spend all this money on your on your speakers. You buy this processor, all very expensive stuff. And then you run the calibration. But like most people do, and then it asks you, what target curve do you want? And usually it has a default one, and uh, sometimes those are pretty bad. A default, right. and that's going to affect. That's going to greatly affect Your the sound that you're going to perceive. So it's yeah. like, uh, I think it's important to know what the target curve should be. Right. And that's the part that's missing. I think a lot of times for people, you know, they're doing all this stuff and they just don't know what to put there, so they probably just hit next, whatever's there. Well, they hit next, and that's I, it. I did that, and then I'm thinking because I'm like. Well, should I boost something? Should I cut something? Uh, how about I just leave it alone <laughs> and yeah. then just move on, right? Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, what what I like to say about all that is that when when I'm all done uh, producing pretty pictures on my computer from you know a few hours of diddling EQ, you know uh, what people call PEQ parametric EQ bands, um, that's just the beginning. That's kind of going back to cooking, once you put everything in the pot and you stir it up, that's just the beginning of cooking. It's like, what do you do What do you do next that matters? Are you going to add a little bit? Are you going to do something else to make it just right? You got to yeah. taste it, then yeah. tweak it, taste it, tweak it. So right? yeah. I we have a bunch of like super chats of people who've uh, sent some money in and I promise them to kind of just do yeah. maybe a, at least a rapid fire. Well, so well, if, well, yeah. Since you're gonna do that, I I, I gotta go. We gotta hit the road. See you, man. Champagne, Actually, champagne, and pizzas waiting. Well, 
I'll get home at 8.30 and have to go to work from 11 p.m. to 7 in the morning. So, Ooh, And we have a call. Oh, and, and we have a call at 11 p.m. <laughs> so right. there's a lot going on. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for um, coming on. And we would love to have you back again um, very soon. Yep. Thanks, Chana. Hey, take care, Chana. Enjoy the drive. Yeah. See you, bro. Drive safe. Uh, so you, I have you all to myself now. All right. It's me, you, and the, the viewers here. So Some, somebody asked if I still recommend speakers at 165 degrees. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Much wider than that's, that. Uh, they start to form an image that sounds like it's in front of you. Not in all rooms, but in a fair number of the rooms, as, as you space them out closer to the ITU recommendation, uh, you, 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 you start to have something like I was actually working with a project by remote today and the speakers were spaced wider. And it's like, I'm putting something in the back left speaker. Can you hear it? It's like, the, you, the the listener actually had to turn around to hear the speaker there because it was spaced too too wide. That's not that's not the intention. If I go back to what Gary Reitstrom and I were talking about at lunch at the tech building at Skywalker Ranch, the idea is you hear it from behind you, not when mm. you turn your head. Mm. So All here's right, a we're... here's another one from uh, Stop the FOMO. Thank you for the super chat. He says props for Anthony who taught me everything I know about surround speaker placement. So wow. a comment from cool. Stop the FOMO. Thanks for the support, as always. Uh, let's see here. We have Croson uh, Paul. So he says, what, if any, are your recommended room sims for the DIYer? Yeah, that's a challenge. It's a great question that would actually be three hours of conversation. I'm going to say this. Most of the room simulators are made for large room acoustics. That's where there's money in this business. And so a lot of the things you'll see out there, including ease, et cetera, are made for concert hall, big lecture halls and stuff like that. And they ignore what actually happens in these short reflection environments for small rooms. Um, so there's a program called Kara that years ago I used to use that works well. What out of frustration, we ended, just, ended up just writing our own program that allows us to figure out all of these things. It's proprietary, very clunky and not really usable. Um, that's I like think that app right now. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you. I'm sure somebody out there uh, has something cool. The Europeans tend to work a lot on this stuff, but I I'm, I don't have a good answer for you. All right. Uh, so we have Juan. Uh, thank you for the super chat, Juan. He says, I'm very interested in Mr. Gramani's opinion on Atmos versus Oro 3D speaker placement. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. Uh, multiple layers on that. Uh, first of all, I have found that have uh, not so much in the front where you have pretty good spatial vertical and horizontal spatial resolution on the side. I found that if a surround side speaker is up here, which needs to be a little bit above your seated ear height for lots of good reasons, and you put another speaker above it, and when you're just playing pink noise, you'll hear the two. In the middle of a track, when everything's going on, it's like, I don't, I'm not sure that I heard the height effect because you're, you know, you're, you're not listening like this. You know, you'd have mm -hmm. to listen like this to have the resolution there. You're listening like this and your ability to tell the difference between something that's up 10 or 15 degrees versus 2025 is not so good. Um, so generally, I, I like things that are a little bit more towards the ceiling. Now, is that Dolby versus Oro? What, you know, it's like whatever. It's I don't know who decides where the speakers go. I generally have found that, you know, speakers that are up on the ceiling at a midpoint between center and left and right. So like these, these two rows works 
most often in the intention of the filmmaker of taking a sound, starting it here, making it go here, and then up and over or left and right. And it, it, it tends to be more satisfying to that sense of an umbrella of sound. Um, so not directly over your head, not too far over, but, you know, somewhere plus and minus some degrees, depending on how you look at it, where the ceiling is. So that's kind of my, my position on it. Um, I, I also don't know, uh, you know, th there's people we've done projects for in which they, there's multiple speakers that are switchable. So you can do one and the other, you know, there it is. Hope that helps. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because with our toolkit, we, we're the creators. And right. so we have an idea where we place the object. We can see visually where it says that we're going to, the object's going to be. Right. And so that's where we kind of talked about it earlier, how it's kind of confusing because it isn't aligned exactly with where with the where speakers, <laughs> you know, they say it should be placed. So uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, maybe oh, we can I, I guess I'll further. say this one more, more thing. I'm sorry. It's one more thing is mm -hmm. a pair of speakers. It's on the walls like this. If you said, okay, I want to put rain. I want it to feel like it's coming down there. Depending on where you are in the room and the psychoacoustics of it, that pair of sounds would could come in sounding like headphones, like a pair of left and right speakers that are right here. It images inside your head. It doesn't mm. sound like it's coming from here. And so, yeah, <clears throat> we so we have some of the tests uh, on the test tracks. We have some that are like uh, they're speaker pairs where we're we're mm. playing uh, pink noise from two two speakers. And so some of them are 50% where we're activating the ear level and the corresponding height. And we're trying yeah. to see like, is, is it imaging somewhere between there? And so we have a, a, a few tests that I'll be interested in seeing what you think after you get to test it, uh, the toolkit a little bit more. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, I think there was one that was related to that somehow. Let's see. Oh, here it is. So uh, Reverend Slim says, Anthony, we've seen the narrower placement of height rows in your in rooms you've designed. Are you using the mixed room guideline or theatrical math, or is that just from your experience doing many rooms? Um, so the the early uh, good question. The early rooms we did, we had them spaced further apart, more per the I use the word propaganda. It's, it has a negative sense, but more from the. Um, the documentation that Dolby was issuing originally on the consumer side and, and felt like, man, I'm not, you know, I'm something's supposed to be up there. I'm not hearing it up there. And then started to bring them in more like the theatrical guideline. Um, and then there's a, so, so the answer is it's more like the theatrical math that you can do actually using their spreadsheet. Um, but there's some amount also of room by room experience, knowing where listeners are placed and what the angles are all going to come out like and where where the relationship to the sides and backs are. Uh, so it's not a simple number. I'm, I'm always worried about it. it's going to be 42 degrees this way. It doesn't it's not always quite that simple, uh, but de definitely they do want to come in a little closer so that you can complete that canopy. That's the whole idea behind all this whole immersive audio thing is you want to be able to have a sound here or there or here or there or a sound that totally immerses you without any particular direction, with without any holes or gaps in it. Um, and that usually takes top speakers that are a little closer than what some of the people have been doing. Okay. So even though I like on-wall height speakers, we could still be friends? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Just don't Good. expect another you know, rain to come down on you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just funny because a lot of these people they they take it very seriously. Like it's it's like you know, it, it's it's okay. You know, you can move the speakers too. So right. I'm I'm gonna get on. 
I can't believe how much time we put into this. It's okay. And, and I, I can see there's a bunch of people still chatting. Thank you guys yeah. for being so fervent. Unbelievable. Um, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Okay. I, I get in, I get into discussions with people that are like, where am I going to put my sides and my backs and all these things? And I notice that their center speaker sitting on the floor, not turned up, you know, aiming at their toes. Let's start with the most important speaker. Let's get that off the floor. Let's put it by the screen or better yet, if you're doing projection, let's get an acoustically transparent screen and put that speaker right where the people's mouths are moving in the middle of the screen. Now, now that we got the most important part, let's start worrying about these other really pretty minute elements in a film soundtrack. Okay, so. I, that's how I feel too. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like our ability to tell where something is vertically is so much worse. It's like, you know what? Why are we, why are we arguing about this? It's not, it's not something to argue about. Yeah. It's you not know, that try, try it out. Yeah. Try different things. Yeah. How about this one? Uh, thank you, Milton for the super chat. Can Anthony speak on the demise of the sixth rear center speaker? I assumed it was because it's difficult to localize. Interesting. Um, so the, uh, in theatrical formats, now where it all comes from, there was no sixth rear speaker. There was left center, right side, left side, right, and either one array in the back, if that's what you're saying, the, the original 6.1, which wasn't one speaker, but an array of speakers, which if it got reduced to home was two speakers, preferably at 165 degrees from total subtended angle. There are some decoders out there in the olden days that had you know three speakers, a, a back left, back right, and a center back. And not so useful. It doesn't break anything, but I think people have just found, yeah, uh, that's not really contributing. So it's not the whole like, oh, it sounds like it's coming from the front situation. It doesn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it didn't. I didn't find that to help very much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Stop the FOMO. I have absorbers on the front half of my ceiling too. After listening to Mr. G, of course. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Scruff, Scruff Kingman says. What about Dirac Art? Have you played with Dirac Art? I've, I've been yeah. beta, I've beta tested that for past year or so. So yeah, I I uh, I have not played enough with it to pronounce myself completely. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, it's I'll, interesting you know, though. It is interesting. So, so just to be uh, so that people who haven't heard about it, is, uh, Dirac has this uh, new algorithm that aims to remove some of the effects of reflections by by essentially injecting, if you want, a, a, the uh, reflection equivalent noise canceling. So just put, yeah, there's a speaker there. Let's make it get rid of the reflection. And, and ultimately in the physics of it at low frequency, you could get there up to mid frequency. You could maybe get there, but above five or 600 Hertz, when the waves start to be small enough, it's really hard to make a speaker counter a reflection for everybody in the room. You move your head yeah. a little bit and the arrival times are all different. So you could probably do something that works great at one spot. Um, but theaters are not a one-spot experience. Anyway, I'm not going to yes. say more until I have yeah, more. Yeah, so I, I have that here, actually. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. What I've said is they need a way to be able to tone it down a little bit because it works so well sometimes. You know, my brain was like, I don't I don't know this room anymore. Just, mm. I'm confused about this room because the acoustics are not what I'm used to. Mm. Right? So anyway, um, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, we already answered that. Let's see here. So just kind of rapid fire here, We're almost done. Uh, that's what I was saying about the speakers outputting different sounding pink noise. He was he was mentioning how uh, when he was using the toolkit, that speakers sounded different when he was playing pink noise. They had different uh, timbral qualities, and uh, so yeah, that's something that EQ can help with for sure. 
Uh, Tambor matching baby. Yep. 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 <laughs> uh, let's see here. Sp spatial officially endorsed by Anthony Grimani. Uh, I knew I wasn't wasting my money. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. I don't know if it's uh, endorsed, but you know, I, I think you'll probably have to mess around with it more. And if you have any uh, feedback, are you going to give me like five bucks or a cappuccino for everyone that's old? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's yeah, make no. that happen. And by the way, it's not it's not Grimaldi. That's a different family. <laughs> That's a rival family. <laughs> um, Just kidding. A great insight on pink noise after EQ. My center's pink noise is different to the others. Can I manually EQ or will that mess up things? Or should I manually EQ for tonality before auto? I think you kind of touched on that. Uh, so that's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, does your auto EQ system allow you to come back afterwards and futz with it? And there are a few that do. Uh those are the more intelligent ones. They also cost more money because it's a different DSP type thing. So if you mm -hmm. can let it do its thing and then go in and finesse it and go, well, you know, I know what you did, but my center sounds brighter than the left and right. So you can tone that down. Great. With Dirac on some of the better products, you can change the target curve. Maybe right? maybe so, one of these days I'm going to ask you about M noise too, but that's for another time. That's uh, a totally different story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Anthony in the house with acoustical knowledge, much, much appreciated. Thank you, Julius. Uh, all right, so we're almost done here. Uh, Jed, what is the frequency frequency dependent windowing, and how does it relate to manual calibration? Is there enough time for that? <laughs> no, um, I, I am going to say this. This is interesting. The auditory system of a human being listens at be below 500 hertz. Clearly, listens to the sound power. So you're. The way it all integrates, partially because the waves are long and they bounce around and crash around, the way your brain works and the distance between your ears, it almost doesn't matter what the direct sound is. What matters is the net sauce in the room. Mm. Above five kilohertz, or actually the real term is above two kilohertz, the tonal balance is mainly driven by the direct sound. Not, not the overall frequency response, but the sense of tonality. And between the two, it gradually shifts from one to the other. For more on this, read T Floyd Tool's book. Transition it's only about region. this thick. You know, it's only about this thick. It tells you everything you ever, you know, would want to know. It's a pretty easy uh, read. But yeah, transition re region. He corrected me on the phone because I said, I said Schroeder frequency. He's like, well, that's a little bit. So it's a different thing. Yeah. He, he told me transition um, region. <laughs> and so Floyd, Floyd is a really sweet individual. He's a great, you could sit down and have a, actually a glass of wine with cheese with him and it would be a great conversation. It would last six hours because he's, he's very clear in how he talks. It's a great guy. And the way he writes is the same. It's very clear. A um, little bit more cussing in person though, huh? I no, that's maybe much. that's just with me on the phone. Maybe he's, he's, he's upset with say, something else. Um, <laughs> no, but I just no, thought it was I'm funny because I'm, I'm reading his book and then, you know, he's saying the same exact message, but just like, He's a normal person, which is kind of cool, right? Floyd he's is a, actually, he's a cool person. dude. <laughs> he's a very cool dude. Um, um, uh, so uh, where was I? What what were we talking about? We have um, like three more questions here. Before, I don't know, but that that one where you're talking about the the uh, the uh, the work that Floyd did on that time. Oh, so um, we're talking about uh, Schroeder free, our transition region. So 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 this the the question was about these different windowing. Um, so there, uh, there are analysis systems, including REW, that allow you to window however you want, where you can have a, a very wide window in the measurements you, when you're doing an what's called an impulse response, where the thing basically sends a sweep and it's measuring and then cutting off at a certain point. Actually, with REW, it measures and you, the cutting off is in post-processing. So 
You can look at a one second window for the long term. You can let, look at a quarter second window for a midterm and you can look at a 10 millisecond window for just a direct sound. And you can just look at those three and see different pieces of info that tell you what you're listening to. That all takes time. And if just like good audio, like good cooking takes time. If you want a really nice, nice meal, you're going to have to wait. You don't roll into the, the, um, the fast food place and get really, really good food. It takes time. You just got to learn how to use it. Next question. Okay. Anthony Perez, he says, is, the, is this the logic Onkyo used when building the auto calibration for Eclipse speakers into their AVRs? And I think this is referring to how you were saying you really need to know what the speaker is doing in order to do a good calibration. And because I guess, you know, same parent company, they know the specs, uh, they know the measurements of these Eclipse speakers. So they do have built-in profiles in there. Mm. when you're using a clip speaker and i thought that was kind of a cool idea that's a that's a good question i don't i don't know uh it, it would be good to know if that's what their profiles are based on is it just an actual response or a sound power response or an expectation of what it's going to sound like in the room it's a good, good question yeah yeah i haven't played with it much either so i don't i can't speak on that but here's another one uh magic lakes anthony i've placed my rear Rears per your recommendation, and I and it makes a huge difference in my space. I believe it mitigates psychoacoustics. I also moved height speakers closer, as you suggested. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to say that when I first read this quickly, I thought you said I placed my ears per your recommendation, like you moved your ears. Um, no, no, no. Thanks. That's That's the right way to do it. By the way, I call them the back speakers. You know why? Mm. Not the rears. Because when you actually put a logo on a, on a cable, did you write R for rears? I had a project years ago where somebody plugged that into the right channel because uh, R for right, rears. Right, so right, right. I've now changed to go like everything that's behind you is back, back, left, back, right. Uh, the speakers over here are S, you know, S1, S2, S3, if there's three of them. Anyway. All right. Okay. I think this is the last one or one of the, uh, I have one more for you, My mine. So Magic Lake says, Anthony, what what do you feel about the identical towers for the bed layer as opposed to traditional surrounds? What's a so uh, I know what you're asking. I'm going to say, what's a traditional surround? Uh, don't know. It is a nice idea to have the same speaker all the way around you. I like that you have the same amplitude, sound power, and, and phase response. Um, from there to put uh, towers all the way around you, which you could do, uh, but knowing that the, the really the sides and backs need to be elevated a little bit. Long story why we can talk about it in another podcast. It's yep. challenging because now you want to raise them, you know, about 10 degrees. So if you don't mind putting your towers on a little stand that's about this tall, you can do it, whatever. My preferred approach is what's called satellite speakers, speakers that play down to 80 hertz in which the bass is collected and goes to separate subwoofers, at least two, if not four, placed judici judiciously in the room. And then you put five of those or seven of those or 10 of those, 12 of them, however many you want to put in the room. But they all have they all have the capacity to play loud enough for your room. So there's different sizes of these. They all play down to 80 hertz where they cross over to subwoofers. And they all work well together because they have the same amplitude and phase response. All right. So I think that was... Uh, mostly it. I definitely want to have you back. I'm sure, you know, the folks here would love to have you back because I went on a rant yesterday about, you know, certain reviewers that I felt like there's a lot of misinformation going on. Mm. And so you've just dropped a lot of very good, actionable information. I mean, actionable is important too, right? Because people can actually go and mess with their systems and try yeah. different things. And so that's exciting, right? That's exciting to me. So I appreciate you. I definitely want to have you back. Stick around too. 
stick around because I have uh, a question after this. So after I end the broadcast, so don't go anywhere after I hit uh, end. But uh, last question I would say is, uh, you know, can you just tell me a little bit about the Spanish story time and sing along? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so I have a picture uh, too. I have a picture, just, so I don't know if. You... <laughs> what what picture did you find? That's really. That's really uh, let's cute. see. So, uh, so this and is the only like... reason I feel comfortable sharing this is because you on your Instagram you also you also have a similar picture. So oh, that's figured. that's cute. So this uh, is in the category of you know in life you can't just do one thing you you gotta you gotta enjoy yourself, um, and and you know, play around. So uh, how about this one? <laughs> that's funny. So that's a picture of me with my guitar, um, and behind me is my wife Ingrid. Ingrid is from Argentina. Uh, she's an she's a beautiful woman, and she's an amazing singer. Um, and then in front. That is our son. Okay, so this is a picture from a few years ago. So um, there's a short and a long story. There's, I'm going to give you the slightly, slightly longer than the short story. So my wife went to a Spanish language sing-along uh, in a town next to where we were. It's like, well, I, I want my son to be you know, exposed to Spanish. And the presenter didn't show up. And they're waiting, they're waiting. It's at a library. And the librarian goes, does anybody know any spanish songs for kids and she goes why well, i grew up in argentina we speak spanish i'll sing a song or two and she sang two songs and she got hired on the spot to do all the rest of the sing-alongs <laughs> so she got it by default and then she's like well will you accompany me on the guitar no i think i offered it's like you want me to play guitar before i got into this i played a lot of music i don't have that much time so Twice a week, I got to be, you got to know, twice a week, I disappear off the radar. I don't answer my phone. I'm gone because for an hour, we drive over to one of the local libraries and we play children's songs in Spanish for kids. And I got to tell you, it is about the most fun you could possibly have with that your clothes is, on. That is awesome. It's well, so cute. yeah, it's so, so that, cute. I hope you enjoyed that one. You know, that was uh, from uh, Dennis Berger. No, so, funny. funny. I, I, asked him, I asked him, like, hey, can, you, can you give me something? Uh, so Antonio, Mr. Antonio Grimani. That's what it says here <laughs> on the name tag, right? That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, my whoop. My, my uh, wife says my kids would love that. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's let's see. I mean, I, I got to say, like, watching these little kids. I mean, Ingrid is amazing at how, how animated she is. And these little kids are all sitting there. They don't know what's going to happen. And she starts to sing. And she has all these props and does all these little acts. And they're literally, like, these are two-year-olds, right? You, you, the attention span, span of a gnat, right? And they sit there for, like, a half an hour looking at her like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is just, just, just like you guys who are listening to us will go on for two hours about this audio geeky stuff. I thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I don't want to take up any more of your time. We appreciate you. I definitely want to have you back. And uh, let's see here. I have a few quick plugs here. If you want to listen to the audio only version of this podcast, anchor.fm forward slash daily hi fi. And we have an after show for our patrons, patreon.com forward slash daily hi fi. And so that's it. Tim is going to cut this up and make some daily clips out of it. Uh, anything else you want to end with? I'd like to say en enjoy the ride because this is a ride to try to get to where the sound is just perfect. And then there's the video, which is a whole other story. But this was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we touched on a lot of really cool subjects. I'm glad you guys are here because this is, this is what makes the difference is just understanding how these systems come together and how they interact with the room and interact with calibration and all that. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys. 
We'll see you in the after show if you're a patron. And if not, we'll see you next week. Take care. Enjoy the ride.